Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Jim from Creative Play and Podcast. Hey, I just wanted to share with you guys To Die in the West, an intro to gunfights. This was a panel at Wild Wild West Con hosted by David Grasset. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, so if you ever watch Star Wars, think about it, it's really just a Western set in space. You have exactly. the big evil empire, the big evil cattle baron. Yeah, and especially Han Solo. I mean, he's got the vest, he's got the low slung gun. Is this guy like not a cowboy or what? <laughs> <laughs> he's got the fastest horse around, you know, yeah. he's kind of that sort of vaguely outlaw kind of character. <laughs> Actually, in fact, we'll start with that. Um, there's a very famous, uh, there's a guy named Clay Allison. Uh, he was a gunfighter in uh, Texas. He was, he was really, he was probably, he had an accident in the Civil War, um, took a blow to the head. And he discharged him from the from the Confederate Army because it kind of changed his personality a little bit. And uh, one night, Clay, the, the, Clay had already got himself a reputation as a killer. And they think he probably killed about 12, 12 people altogether. Um, hard to prove some of them. He bragged about a lot. You know, uh, I haven't done the research, so I couldn't tell you specific numbers. Um, most of them did exaggerate how many people they killed. They once asked Wild Bill, you know, how many people go? No, a hundred, but you know. Really, the kid always said he killed uh, one man for each year of his life, but he didn't count Mexicans or Indians. Um, <laughs> so I, these guys really bragged. I mean, really, the kid, they think maybe four. Um, uh, uh, Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday has one, one confirmed kill, and that was Frank McClory, who he took out with a shotgun at the OK Corral. They not, can't prove that he ever killed anybody else. But anyway, Clay Allison was pretty much a psychopath. And, uh, Mr. Allison sat down to dinner one night with the guy who was looking to make his reputation by killing Clay Allison. And so as they're sitting there and having a nice, friendly dinner, they know they're going to fight. Um, the guy at the end, after the dinner's over, goes for a six-gun. Unfortunately, catches it on the table, and Clay Allison reaches across and just shoots him right in the chest. And later on, they asked him, and he gets quitted for it because the other guy was armed. He gets quitted for it. And... Uh, um, Yes, Clay Allison, and like, well, why you, you knew he wanted to kill you, why don't you just shoot him? Because I didn't want to send him to hell without a dinner first. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, my name is David Grassek. I am an old West historian. I uh, have my uh, bachelor's degree in history from the U of A. Yay, U of A. <laughs> if any of you Wildcat fans out there, yes. <laughs> um, I also went there for my uh, master's degree, which is in library science. Um, I published my first book last year, which there's cop- there'll be copies of available later, about Commodore Perry Owens, who's the Apache County Sheriff, and we're going to go into his little gunfight a little later. Um, uh, I'm working currently on a book about the Bisbee Massacre. Uh, four men, or five men, rode into Bisbee in uh, 1884 with the intent of robbing the mine payroll, which is kept at the general store, which had the only safe in town. Uh, by the time they rode out, about 15 minutes later, they killed four townspeople. They unfortunately didn't get the money because the money was 
stuck on the other side of Mule Pass in the mud. So, yeah, so, yeah, so that's a, um, you may have seen the famous, there's actually a sixth member that they convicted later, or they convicted him, who was charged later, and uh, named John Heath, and you've probably seen the very famous picture of him dangling from telegraph poles. Um, yeah, they lynched him. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that's basic uh, basic background of it. I'm going to start out with a story, and I don't know this one by heart, so I'm going to use a cheese sheet here, about a killing that actually happened here in Tucson of a guy by the name of James Levy. Uh, he was a known gunman. Um, he had been a gambler. And we think, okay, let's back up here for a second. Back in the Old West, there's no such thing as a gunfighter. It's totally a Hollywood term. There's no, there, they never called somebody a gunfighter. Um, that that kind of got put out about the 1940, 1930s, it started showing up in Hollywood movies. Back then, you were a gunman, or in the case of people like uh, um, John Wesley Harden, they called him a shootist. They think Clay Allison um, was the one who actually coined the term. They asked him, what, do you, what are you? And he, he goes, are you a gunman? And he goes, no, I'm a shootist. Um, all the, there was no real guys who just went around shooting people. They really didn't happen. Even people like Tom Horn, who were basically professional assassins, um, a lot of them were professional gamblers. A lot of them were uh, um, cattlemen. Uh, most of them were most of them were gamblers. Um, a lot of them were cattlemen, but they actually did have professions outside of them. They just happened. Some of these guys just happened to be very prolific with the gun and willing to use it. Um, like Doc Holliday, he actually started out as a dentist. Um, his patients got sick of him coughing in their faces, and so he became a gambler. Um, uh, so yeah, most of these guys actually, you know, Wild Bill Hickok is probably the closest thing to sort of a wandering minstrel gunfighter uh, or gunman, as it was, um, just because he became famous for it. But even then, he was much, much more of a gambler and a showman. He also was a scout for the army. Um, James Levy, in this case, he was a professional gambler. Um, he drifted all over the West, ended up in Nevada for a while. In Nevada, he killed a guy named Mike Casey in 1871. Uh, gunfight with him and another. Uh, he went after Casey and a guy named Dave Neagle. Uh, he killed Casey and Neagle shot him in the jaw. So Levy kind of had a weird look to him after that. Um, uh, 1973, two years later, kills a guy named Thomas Ryan in Nevada. After they kill a couple people in a town, it usually gets a little warm for them, and so they leave. Uh, next place he ends up in is Cheyenne, Wyoming, <laughs> where he decides to kill some guy named in 1876 by the name of Charlie Harrison. Um, he never gets convicted in any of this. He gets usually they would bring somebody in, and the law was weird back then uh, compared to now. If the other guy had a gun. He was technically, technically armed, and it was self-defense, and it really it came down to that. Even if the guy didn't have the gun out, if he had a gun, he could defend himself, and he could get killed. There's a great story about John Wesley Harden, which I'll get to in a little while, um, and a famous self-defense in his case. Um, so uh, anyway, old Levy, he, he, Cheyenne gets a little warm for him, so he moves to Tucson, or Tombstone, and he runs into find out that Dave Neagle's there, so he's like, Okay, this guy shot me in the jaw, so I'm not staying here. So he moves to Tucson. And one evening in uh, 1880, May of 1882, he's at the Fashion Saloon down on Congress Street. And he's gambling at a table um, owned by Bill Moyer, uh, a guy named Johnny Murphy, and Dave Gibson. And he goes in there and 
Pharaoh, the way it's played, it has three, usually three people. There's a guy who's dealing and counter, and, and these three are all playing, and you're playing against, you're playing against a dealer, but these, so there's three guys on the other side of the board. And uh, he's losing really, really badly. Pretty soon he starts accusing them of cheating. Who knows whether or not they were, Pharaoh was an easy game to rig. And they may well have been, but he's, and he's this guy's a professional gambler, so he's like, you guys are cheating me, you're cheating me. And he goes, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight you, I'm gonna get you guys, and you know, all sorts of vile threats and things like this. And they, he finally is, he, he leaves, and uh, about a month later, uh, let's see, June 5th, 1882, for whatever reason, he decides to go back to the fashion saloon and play the game again. <laughs> Needless to say, he starts losing. Well, he's fairly drunk, and uh, um, and you know he starts making really, really, you know, really being threatening. And he goes, and he, at one point he goes, "I'm going to come." You know, he tells the dealers because I'm going to waltz on your layout and shoot the checks off your board, which is you know kind of like okay. And yeah. so um, finally the law shows up, and they're like, okay, you know, separate. And he's so drunk, they're really not concerned about it. They figure. You know, they'll get you in the morning and all this. And they're like, okay, he's drunk. Let him go home and sleep it off. Well, the officer doesn't really escort him back. He just sends him back to uh, Palace Hotel, which is on Meyer Street. No longer there, unfortunately. And, uh, and so he's on his way. And uh, Gibson, Murphy, and um, Moyer follow him. And they follow him to the hotel. And they stand at a distance outside while he goes in. Official newspaper reports that he went into the hotel desk clerk and asked him for a gun. Uh, hotel desk clerk denied him one, and so he walked back out on the street. Well, Moyer, Moyer, Murphy, and Gibson see him, and they draw their revolvers, and they just start shooting. Moyer doesn't have, or Levy didn't have a gun, and, it, and uh, let's see. Um, so they, they start blasting away at him. After the first shot, he's like, he screams like, my God, don't kill me, don't murder me, please, I'm not armed. They didn't care, they just kept shooting. He starts to run across the street and they just, they shoot him in the back once and then he, and he sort of falls, he gets across the street, falls under a barber pole and Dave Gibson walks up and just goes boom, boom, puts two into him. They fire 15 shots at him. This is, this is typical of the Old West, five of them hit. <laughs> um, these weapons were horribly inaccurate especially in the heat of battle, but then again, your average police officer now in the heat of battle will only hit about 40% of his shots. And those guys practice much more than these guys did. So, you know, poor, poor Levy is dead on the ground, and uh, um, uh, his last words were supposedly, my God, has it come to this? <laughs> um, and uh, Dave Gibson, that's right before Dave Gibson puts the last two holes in him, Murphy, and Murphy, later on when the arresting officer shows up, Murphy turns to him and goes, well, he got it, I did it, I don't deny it, somebody dig him a hole. <laughs> so they, both, they all three get arrested for it, um, and, uh, and they're tried. Only, uh, let's see, only Murphy actually gets convicted of it. Um, he's the first one to get sentenced. The other two escaped from the Pima County Jail hid out in the hills, and by the time they actually got brought to trial about two years later, there was nobody around and they were both acquitted. <laughs> um, Murphy, got, or Murphy got sentenced to, to life. He did five years before the governor paroled him. <laughs> so, okay, so um, now five times you're like, okay, you know, it's 
whole lot of bullets. Um, I did. I was able to dig up the coroner's report for that they used at the trial. And I'm going to read it to you verbatim because this is this is the kind of testimony. When they would kill somebody back then, when they would kill somebody, um, they would immediately impanel a court, what was called a coroner's jury. They would have a doctor. They'd get 12 men. They would look at the body and go, "Wow, he's dead." And then they try to figure out if a crime had been committed. In this case. And then they would report it to the grand jury, and the grand jury would take the information from there. And that was usually how they decided whether to keep somebody in jail and wait for a grand jury, or to let them go on their own reconnaissance. Um, so, according to the, actually, first I'm going to read you the one from the Tucson Weekly, which came out the day after. Um, local newspaper said Levy's wounds consist of a bullet hole through the left elbow, one in the mouth, one near the left shoulder, one in the back and one through the neck, which probably finished him. Uh, the newspaper re recorded that the entrance to the Palace Hotel shows marks of the horrible deed, and there were several bullet holes to which some, to, to some of which adheres particles of blood, flesh, and of the murdered man. Okay, now we'll do the coroner's report. This is a little bit more descriptive. Didn't eat right. <laughs> um, Basically, the coroner, who was named uh, Lyford, uh, in his description said, on examination I found five bullet wounds. One bullet entered on the right side, passing above the collarbone, down through the backbone, and coming out on the left side. A second bullet entered on the left side, above the collarbone, passed through the backbone, coming out through the back on the left side. A third bullet passed through the heart, lodging near the left shoulder. A heart muscle, you know, a heart muscle is a, fair, a heart is a fairly thick muscle, and these these bullets are very very slow moving. In fact, if you've ever fired a 45 caliber bullet with with a old style round in, you can almost see the bullet going down range. They're moving very very slow, and when they hit, they just a heart muscle is this very thick muscle. It is enough to stop slow down the bullet so that it will not exit. The ones that went through his collar just blew through everything. You know, the heart actually stopped it, slowed it down enough so it didn't puncture out the back. Now let's see. A fourth bullet passed through his upper lip into his brain, and there's also a shot in the left arm. The coroner said later, I would state that all the shots, except with the exception of the one in the left arm, were necessarily fatal. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, as I said, Bill Moyer was sentenced to life in, in the Yuma Penitentiary. He ended up doing five years. Uh, Governor Zulik pardoned him um, at the behest of many people. Because Levy was already a killer, so it was kind of one of those things, well, you killed the killer, so that's kind of all right. You know, too much. You really see that with John Wesley Hardin, who was probably the biggest, worst gunman of all time. Um, he, historians have found John Wesley Hardin was Probably, he wasn't the best shot, but he was definitely the most prolific man killer. They, he racked up, by the time he was 25, when he was finally arrested, he'd racked up 40 bodies. And they can actually account for all of them. Um, he was, uh, he once shot a man in Dodge City for snoring too loud in the next room. He just popped one right through the wall. Um, yeah, yeah, John Wesley Harden was just, was probably was what we today would consider a psychopath. Um, he did. He was caught at the age of 25, arrested, sentenced to penitentiary in Florida. Um, he did, I think, 10 years there. Came out with a law degree. 
became a lawyer. <laughs> we'll get back to John Wesley Harden in a moment. You don't want to become a lawyer in the West. But actually, this is, the reason I tell the story about Levy is because this is really typical of gunfights in the Old West. You always, you know, if you if you go watch a movie or something like that, you always see the two guys, you know, the famous two guys walking down the street facing each other, and they look at each other with steely gaze, go sneak-eyed, and you know, all this kind of thing, and then draw and shoot. And uh, you know, the hero always goes, well, I let him draw first. <laughs> okay, with a normal Colts revolver on my hip, I can pull it and put it in center of maths in .08 seconds. That is faster than you can, your brain is gonna have time to register that I'm even pulling that gun out. Um, if my first shot hits, you're a corpse. And that, that, I know people, I know a young lady who's 14 years old with .06, she's faster than me. She's <laughs> amazingly fast, I hate that girl. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, it's really, um, there are recorded instances of people actually doing a face-off. There was a, one of the most famous of all time is probably Wild Bill, and what actually made his reputation. He had a disagreement with a guy named Dave Tut. Some say it was over a woman, some say it was over gambling. Yeah, um, and they met out, out on the street in Springfield, Missouri. And I think it was like 1870. Oh, sorry, 1865, right after the Civil War. And um, at the time, they didn't have the Colts revolver. These are cartridge revolvers. Um, you're actually loaded bullet like everybody's seen these loaded. They were using black powder ball and cap guns. Uh, Wild Bill personally preferred a 38, uh, Navy 38, which is a fairly small round compared to the 45, but a little more accurate because, and uh, he's, he always wore two of them. And he and Dave Tut step off across the street and at about 50 yards, they pull their guns. They both fired once. Uh, Dave Tut missed completely. And at that range, you're probably going to. Wild Bill, however, put one right in the middle of Dave Tut's head, which sort of scattered everything out the back here, all over people standing behind you. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it is, uh, but that's so, and there's also a case of a guy named Turkey Creek Jack Johnson, who if you've ever seen Tombstone, you may have heard the name. Uh, Turkey Creek um, got in an altercation with two men one, one night in the saloon. They decided to go have it out. And conveniently enough, they went down to the local cemetery. Uh, uh, one, yeah, this, this one was a standoff of faith. Um, Turkey Creek started one end, and the other two guys started one end, and started walking towards each other, firing their guns. Turkey Creek was a little smarter than they were. They just whipped out their guns, went bam, 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 bam. And, you know, and back then, you carried about five shots in your gun because the hammer right there has firing pin on it. If that drops onto the shell that's under there, it's going off. Once happened to Wyatt Earp while he's sitting down, leaned back, the gun fell out, he had six in there, hit the hammer, gun went off, hit the ceiling, everybody in Dodge City hit the ground. Yeah, it's actually it's really funny if you ever read Wyatt Earp's book, he's like, he, he talks like with some authority on the fact that real gunfighters never carry five. He doesn't tell you why he knew that. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so they had to start walking towards each other. Turkey Creek just waits and waits until they're all out of bullets, and he goes, boom, boom, <laughs> kills them both. So, but most most gunfights um, were assassinations, and they're really, if you look at you know, all the famous ones, um, Billy the Kid, killed by Pat Garrett. Now, they, now there's actually some indication that he waited for, uh, 
He waited for Billy the Kid in a darkened room. He walked through the door and cut him in half with a shotgun. Um, he says he did it with a one shot with a revolver, but you know it's kind of it hit him right through the heart. Um, I guess I think it never exhumed Billy to find out exactly whether or not what's in his chest cavity. <laughs> um, Wild Bill Hickok. Uh, was playing cards. The famous Dead Man's Hand is named after him. He's holding aces and eights when a uh, guy named Jack McCall walked up and shot him right in the back of the head and dead sit Deadwood. Um, let's see. Uh, Pat Garrett actually got assassinated too. Um, he was relieving himself on the side of the road in, outside of Las Cruces, New Mexico, and one of his partners shot him down. That's, yeah, very. I guess he had figured he wasn't going to go for his gun. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, Robert Ford, uh, you've all heard of Jesse James, I'm sure, shot Jesse James while he's standing on a stool adjusting a picture, shot him in the back of the head. Uh, it just goes on and on. Uh, John Wesley Harden, oh, let's get back to old John Wesley because this is a good one. John Wesley gets out of prison and he becomes a lawyer and he goes and he's still a jerk. <laughs> I just don't like him. Uh, he goes and hangs out his, his, uh, his Shingles. Uh, shingles, thank you, in uh, El Paso. And he gets involved with a married woman. He's just, he, he always carries the guns, and everybody's scared of him. But after he gets out of prison, he never kills anybody. He's, you know, he's really kind of into his law practice, but he's still just, people just don't like him. He's obnoxious, and he's, so he's, um, he's in the Acme Saloon one night, and he's playing dice at, at, at the, uh, with the bartender at the bar. And a guy named John Selman walks in, he walks directly up to him, he puts a gun to the back of his head and shoots him through here. It comes out right above the eye, all of the bartender. Um, and brain matter, bone chunks, and like, yeah, it's pretty tasteless. And John Wesley drops on the floor. Well, they immediately, you know, obviously this is first degree murder. He just walked up and <laughs> shot the guy in the back of the head. So they, they, they panel a coroner's jury, they arrest him, throw Selman in prison, bring the grand jury, he actually gets a trial. And his lawyer comes up with the ingenious defense. Number one, John Wesley Harden was known to carry a shoulder holster and was always armed. He was armed that evening. Um, number two, he was a known shootist and he, sh you know, a man who was very considered very dangerous. Someone said, number three, there was a mirror behind the bar and he should have seen me coming. <laughs> um, John Selman walked on the charges. Um, just as a footnote, John Selman ended up dying outside of a pig trough when he was shot down with somebody else. But, uh, yeah, Robert Ford. Robert Ford, who killed Jesse James, ended up taking a shotgun blast in his own saloon in Creek, Colorado. Somebody assassinated him. Um, yeah, it's, that's, but most, a lot of the gunfights were really assassinations. They were just. Um, they're just, they just keep going on and on. Um, ben Thompson and King Fisher, because they're two of the deadliest gunmen, were in a saloon in uh, San Antonio, uh, Vaudeville Variety Theater in San Antonio. They got in to watch a show. They had, had Ben Thompson had a previous argument with the owner of the of the, of the Vaudeville Theater, and so they take their seat in the opera booth, and all of a sudden and. The people they're with move out of the way, and gunfire erupts. And um, they said, I think Ben Thompson got hit about eight times. Uh, John, John King Fisher, who's actually just an innocent bystander, wrong place, wrong time, um, got his gun out of his holster before the 15 bullets killed him. Uh, yeah, you can imagine that was just a big, brutal mess to clean up the next day. Um, 
nobody has ever convicted of that either because, again, we have two very, very deadly Judas and, uh, you know, they let it go. Um, let's move on to one of the all-time favorite gunfights of the Midwest, the OK Corral shootout. You've all seen it, you've all heard of it, you're like, ah, the Herbs versus the Clantons. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, whether the Herbs are just really lawmen, upstanding lawmen or a bunch of gangsters with guns and badges, and how bad the Lowry's and the Clantons were, you know, they were cattle rustlers, and they knew stagecoach robbers, but did they ever, you know, we'll just leave that alone. Actually talking about the gunfight itself, um, Ike Clanton, of course, been arrested the night before. He was unarmed when he walked down to that corral. Tom McLaurie, who had seen Wyatt Earp rolling around the street, had a gun stuck in the belt of his pants. He said, he pulled out from his jacket, goes, you want to fight, you want to fight? Wyatt took the gun out, clobbered him in the head with it. <laughs> and so he didn't have a gun, so Wyatt took it away. Uh, Billy Clanton was armed. He had a six-shooter on him. Uh, Frank McLaurie was armed. He had a six-shooter. Billy Claiborne was there for about two minutes, and he was talking with them all in the corral, and as soon as he saw the herbs turn the corner, he, even though he had a six-shooter, bailed out the back door. So here you have the four herbs, all four of them have handguns, and of course Doc Holliday has a shotgun. Over here you have the McClary's and the Clanton's. I Clanton, as soon as the firing started, he ran up to Wyatt and go, don't shoot me, I don't have a gun. And he's like, well, get out of here, the fight's commenced. And I ran. He left his younger brother, 18-year-old Billy there, to take the brunt of Europe's wrath. Um, Tom McClary didn't have a gun. So he started, as soon as the fighting started, he tried to reach over his uh, saddle for his Winchester, which was in the scabbard. Doc Holliday cut him in half with a shotgun. Um, basically, he got hit, both barrels, um, double off buck shot. He was able to stagger off to the corner where he dropped. There was, he was dead. He probably, um, chest, chest, being hit with enough, that much buck shot, it just perforated him. It would have punctured his lungs, tore up his heart, um, busted all those. His, by the time he was hitting the ground, he probably fell into his own blood because he was bleeding so much internally and externally and just plopped on the floor. Um, uh, Frank McGlory, who is considered the best shot of the three of them, he took, I believe, three shots um, during the gunfight. Um, one was the one which finally killed him, went through his brain. They're not sure if Doc Holliday fired it or if Morgan Earp fired it. They're pretty sure it was Doc Holliday. I also think Doc Holliday may have started the fight. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you always see the movie, and, and you've seen the movie, of course, and all, every time, and even in the reports, of the newspaper reports, the first thing anybody heard when they turned the corner and confronted the cowboys, Virgil says, don't, stop, I don't mean that. Everybody always assumes he was talking to the cowboys. I think he was talking to his brothers. Saying, stop, I don't mean that. He really just wanted to arrest them. He, his intention was to embarrass them and take their guns away from them. Disarm them, make them look bad, and let him know that the Earths were in charge of the town. This is just basically a misdemeanor firearm arrest that went really, really wrong. And so, yes, they start blasting away each other. So, yeah, Frank, uh, Frank McLaurie doesn't last very long. He's, dead. He's pretty much dead within a few minutes. Little Billy Clanton, 18 years old, he came into town to get his stupid drunk brother. That's all he's there for. He's going to ride back out to the ranch. It's going to be a pleasant day. They're going to go herd cattle. He walks into the worst gunfight in there, one of the worst gunfights in Arizona history. 
Billy Clanton is also probably the one who he made all the the only hits all the hits on the earth. He kept fighting all the way to the end. He had a oddly enough he had a six shooter loaded with six bullets. Um, he fired all six of them. He uh, blew through uh, Virgil Earp's leg. I took him down. Probably shot Morgan through the shoulders, which crushed his clavicle or crushed his. Uh, um, this is backbone, yeah, yeah, scapula. Uh, crunched that up a little bit, blew through the other side. He's actually very lucky. That bullet just been a little bit further and just tore out his backbone. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, he, Morgan really lucked out on that one. He probably also skimmed Doc Holliday's side. Um, Billy Clanton, while this was going on, started was taking bullets. He ended up getting shot five times. Um, Several, uh, two in the stomach, one in one in the upper arm. When they shot him in the arm, he actually did what they call a border shift, which is he took the gun and went like that and started firing with the other hand and still made shots. <laughs> and then they shot him in this arm, and he was still he was resting the gun like this shooting. I mean, they, I think they got the last one was in the leg. So um, Billy Clanton. So finally, he runs out of bullets. And he's laying, he's sort of laying propped up against the side of Fly, uh, Fly's photography studio, bleeding out all over the place. You know, it's like, you know, and he's, his lungs pierced and he's like frothing up blood. And he's going, give me more cartridges. <laughs> he still wants to fight. And the um, Camellia Fly was a photographer who took the famous picture of John Heath on a telegraph pole and would later photograph Billy Clanton in his, in his, um, in his coffin with the Maharis. Um, walked up and snatched the gun out of his hand. Um, they took, they, Billy Clanton lived about a half hour, half, half hour, 45 minutes afterwards. They took him into flies, put him out on the table, and he was just bleeding out. They knew he was going to die. And he, he said his goodbyes, goodbye, boys, I'm going. Um, they shot him full of morphine and just let him die right there on the table. <sighs> Bad day for him. <laughs> However, I will say this. Uh, um, I went to the 125th reunion of the, of the OK Corral shootout. The funeral there, the, the reenactment of the funeral, had more people that actually were in the town of Tombstone when it happened. I mean, all these people, I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like, <laughs> Billy Pantins is looking down on us. He's going to be really impressed at how famous he really is. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that's the gunfight of the OK Corral. So when you see the movies, you go, yeah, no. <laughs> um, another one, oh, Johnny Ringo. Here's, here's a very famous character that everybody loves. Johnny Ringo is probably cool, is probably famous because he has a really cool name. Yeah. That's really probably all there is to it. Um, he may, they think he may have killed two people in Texas. Um, maybe. And even that's it. And one of them was an assassination. They know the guy died and Johnny Ringo was there, but they don't know if Johnny Ringo fired the shots. At his time in Arizona, he is not known to have killed anybody. Uh, he did shoot a guy at a bar one night because he was drunk. And he wanted the guy to have come drink with him. And the guy refused, so he shot him. <laughs> um, you know, we're talking, this is, like I said, most gunfights happen in, in, while people are in their cups. Unfortunately, Johnny Ringo really wasn't that good a shot because he grazed him, knocked him down on the floor, knocked him out, but didn't kill him. Um, there's also a Johnny Ringo once robbed a poker game at gunpoint, came in, took all the money, and then felt bad the next day and returned it all. <laughs> um, this is this is the guy. Um, he he was uh, nowadays he would probably be um, diagnosed as uh, probably chronic depressive, even manic depressive. 
Um, he really wasn't right in the head. He, um, most people really didn't like Johnny Ringo, and all the accounts of people have, I've, I've read, first-hand accounts of people who knew him, he was just kind of an odd bird. Um, he wasn't really down mean, he was actually a really nice guy. He was educated, um, he wasn't college educated, he had, um, but his mother had educated him. He, he did have a good hand, good right. Um, he wrote several letters to the governor and the mayor and other people like that, you know, saying what a good guy he really was. Um, <laughs> um, and he had, he had a really nice hand, it's totally legible. Unlike some of the officers, Commodore Perry Owens was one we'll get to in a moment. Poor guy couldn't write for crap. Um, uh, but yeah, he really, really, he was probably just really not quite right in the head. Um, there's a lot of conspiracy theories um, about what actually happened to Johnny Ringo, one of the most famous ones I've ever heard, which is a book on uh, Johnny, uh, who killed Johnny Ringo, or Johnny Ringo's final hours. This is, you'll love this. This is better than Kennedy, man, I swear. Okay, why are in Doc Holley all left after the OK Corral thing, they, or after the, the wounding of Morgan Earp and killing Frank Stillwell on the vengeance ride? They all went to Colorado. They arrested Doc Holliday in Colorado, and they're going to extradite him back to Arizona. Story I heard, you're going to love this one. Um, that Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp and a couple of their friends secretly got snuck back down to Arizona. They found Buckskin Frank Leslie, and they all went trailing Johnny Ringo. And they trailed him out into the, into the deserts or, or the hills around Tombstone. And then they saw him, and he was running uphill, and Wyatt hawked his Winchester and made an amazing uphill shot that went through here <laughs> he fell, and they took him, and they propped him up against the tree, and they turned his gun belt upside down and wrapped his feet in cloth and left him there like a suicide. They put a gun in his hand like this. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Ringo, probably the only person he ever killed into in Arizona, was Johnny Ringo. <laughs> More than likely, Johnny Ringo put a little bullet through his own head. But it sure looks good in the movies when he's like, you know. And, and the only reason to remember him is because he had a really cool name, which Ringo Starsville. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. So yeah, so yeah, Tombstone's a lot. Tombstone's got a lot of really good killings in it. I mean, there's a guy who once got killed because he was wearing a really ugly shirt. And his partner killed him. Uh, it's a, it's a, a two monument. I can't remember the name. Um, names, unfortunately. But it, it's a true story. The guy came in, he had got this nice shirt from back because he's walked around all proud of it. People are like, that's a shirt. <laughs> and he kept doing this. They were like, that's a really ugly shirt. And he goes, the next person who says I'm going to beat him down. He runs into his partner in his saloon. And the guy looks at him and goes, that's an ugly shirt. And he whacks him with his revolver. He's like, I'm your partner. He beats him down anyway. And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes back to the gun. He goes back to his hotel or his home, gets his gun, comes back out, finds his partner, goes, yeah, here's to your ugly shirt. Fills <laughs> <laughs> full of lead. Um, there's also the famous Lester Moore, who you probably, probably all see the famous. Um, Lester Moore is not a fake. It actually is a real tombstone. Um, Lester Moore was a Wells Fargo agent. And this guy came in one day, and uh, um, he got delivered a package, and the package was really badly damaged. And Lester Moore's like, hey, I just work here. What can I do about it? And the guy gets incensed. And he pulls out a 44 and actually shot him to death with it. Um, four times with 44, no less, no more. He actually <laughs> shot him four times. The thing they don't tell you about the story is um, Lester Moore actually had a weapon. 
underneath the counter. He pulled it out, put two slugs in this guy. Lester Moore died immediately right there on the floor. The other guy got one through the stomach and one through the groin. He lived about 24 hours screaming in agony. They did have nothing to do but pump morphine into it. And so, yeah, that's Lester Moore's revenge. <laughs> but yeah, so actually, they do not own, by the way, if you ever go to Tombstone, and you go to Food Hill, about half the graves there are real. They aren't, they're, unfortunately, they're not sure where those people are. Um, you, when you go in there, they're, they just have mounds of rocks. They don't know where the bodies are. Uh, John Clum, who was the mayor at the time, uh, in Tombstone during 1881-1882, his wife died there. Years later, when he went to the very first El Dorado, he went to look for his wife's grave. And he said he couldn't find it. Everything had been torn over, torn down. All the tombstones had fallen in, and it was just because he couldn't find the grave. He couldn't find any other graves. He said. And so there are bodies buried up there, and those paths might be where you're walking. They may be right under there. So, um, and a lot of and a lot of them are kind of very iffy. You know, they, of course they don't tell you the whole story. A lot of them are just a good for fun. A lot of them are good. Um, Nobody's gone up there with ground penetrating radar? No, unfortunately, I really wish they would. It would be really fun to know because, I mean, they really could tell. They could, like the Bisbee Massacre bandits who all got hanged. Um, they probably buried them all right next to each other. There was five of them. They hanged them all at the same time. It was the first legal hanging in there in, uh, in Tombstone. And, oh, by the way, there's only one lynching in Tombstone the whole time. You know, I mean, you always see these people hanging in, you know, you know there's only one. Um, but yeah, he was, uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, probably they could probably identify it pretty easily. You know, if they found three bodies, it would probably be the McLaurys, and you know, they could really do it if they could get the money. But then again, nobody wants to do that. Yeah. And Town of Tombstone, I love the place, but their city council is so difficult to work <laughs> um, uh, Also, where this high school is, and this is just for your information, the high school. What we know as the town now is not the whole town. It actually extended on past the Birdcage Theater. Back in that area where the high school, the old high school is, used to be the red light district. That used to be all the cribs, the brothels, the nasty saloon you didn't want to go into. That was the rough part of town. So, cool, thank you. And so, um, yeah, so they basically, you know, and in the, you know, the interest of civic duty, they leveled it, yeah, put a school up. <laughs> the education of children. So I'd like to see somebody take a metal detector over there. <laughs> okay, so the last one I'm going to get to is the Blevins fight. Uh, Commodore Perry Owens. And I'll show you a picture of him since I have one on the cover of the book. Um, Commodore Perry Owens was actually kind of, was kind of forgotten for a while. Although during his time he was more famous than Wider, you've probably seen the picture of him. He looks like oh, yeah. the badass. I didn't say that, you don't repeat that. But, uh, There's yeah. a reason it's 14 and up. 14 and up, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, he was Marshall, he was started out as um, sheriff, he was sheriff of Cassidy County, started out as a cattleman. Uh, over to cattle ranches and stuff like that. His most famous gunfight was against the Blevins boys. There was a guy named Andy Cooper who was a known killer. Um, he, two days before the gunfight, he killed two men in the two. During the time of, okay, a little background, during the time of Owen's uh, time as sheriff, tenure as sheriff, 
the Pleasant Valley feud was going on in Yavapai County, which would be a big fight between the Tewksbury's or shooting men and the Brantford County. It's probably the second worst, bloodiest feud in the United States next to Hatfields and McCoy's. They happen here in Arizona! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Andy Cooper was the top gun for the Brands. I mean, he was just—he—he'd already had—he'd already had a record of killing at least four people I could find, um, and he was just one of the really bad cookie. He was part of the Blevins clan. There were five Blevins brothers. Within a month, within two month period, all—all all but one of them was dead. Um, Constable Perry almost took care of three of them. Um, so he, he goes to, he had an old warrant on Andy Cooper, not for murder, but for cattle or horse rustling. So he went to deliver to the town of Holbrook. He went up to the Blevins Cottage with the intent of, of serving the warrant and having a, and arresting Cooper and taking him to jail. Well, everybody knew that Cooper was bad and, and Commodore, and Commodore was his first name. It wasn't a title. It was no. actually his name, Commodore. <laughs> um, yeah, his father was Oliver Hazard Perry Commodore. Oliver Hazard Perry Owens, um, after the famous Commodore, when he got born, they're gonna they said, oh, what's Tom Commodore? <laughs> uh, so, and so he goes up to arrest Andy Cooper, and I will make this as quickly as possible since I'm running out of time. But um, he goes to the door, and Andy Cooper, Andy Cooper answers the door with a pistol. Um, there's a slight exchange. Nobody really know. Everybody knew this was going to happen. So half the town sat across the street from Blevins, Blevins' house and watched it. Really, literally half the town watched the whole thing unfold. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody's just like, and so Owens has a Winchester, very similar to one of those. We're not sure if it was a 40, probably a 45-60 was his favorite round. 45-60 is about this big. It is a huge, massive round. When Andy Cooper answered the door, something happened, there's a slight exchange, and Owens just raised the Winchester and shot him through the stomach. It ripped through his stomach, took his intestines, most big chunk of one side of his backbone, and everything else, and splattered it all over his his uh, brother's wife and the child were standing directly behind him. They said she was just covered in clots of blood and parts of Andy. <laughs> um, Andy went down, and about that time, the way the porch is, there's a door here where he shot Andy. This door opens, and John Blevins takes one shot at Owens. Probably about this and misses him completely. <laughs> <laughs> he does, however, kill the saddle horse, Andy's saddle horse, which is out in the street. <laughs> Owens goes, yeah, cocks and puts one into him, puts it through his shoulder, tears out, hits him in the clavicle, breaks it, and takes out most of the muscle in here. It's 45, 60 rounds, and blows part of his scapula up against the wall, too. He's out of the fight. So Owens realizes he's in a bad position being on that porch. So he backs off into the street. There's a guy there named Mose Roberts. Nobody knows anything about Mose Roberts. I looked for six years to find stuff about Mose Roberts. No idea who he was. I'll be done. And um, Mose Roberts was in there writing a letter. He may have been a friend of Andy's. He may have been a bad guy. May have been. I really couldn't find anything. M-O-S-E Roberts. If anybody happens looks at their family history, go, I am most Roberts, I know that. He's related to me. Well, he's dead. Um, <laughs> uh, so most Roberts grabs his gun and jumps out a window. He sees, he looks out, and Owens has now got onto the street, 
he's looking down one side of the house, he can see the front and the side, so he's looking like this. And he's got his Winchester, he's cocked another one into it. He sees Moe's robbers jump out of the gun in his hand. Moe sees him with the Winchester, and he's like, oh, forget it. Starts to run. Owens goes, boom, and shoots him through the back. It hits him right to the side of the backbone. It blows his chest out. It punctures his lung. It takes a piece of rib, and the bullet goes through and sticks in a wagon wheel with parts of Moe's robbers attached to it. Um, Moe's robbers now has this gaping, sucking wound in his chest. He's frothing in blood. He sort of staggers around to the back of the house and comes in the back door. Collapses on the kitchen floor and starts bleeding out on the kitchen floor because his chest cavity is filling with blood, his lung is filling with blood. He only breathes through one lung. He's out of the fight. So, and then it's like, oh, this is just disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so, the last act actually, so it all gets quiet, and Owen being, Owen sees the movement in the house. And this is probably, and I'll tell you why in a moment, this is probably the worst shot he did. He saw some movement in the house near the front windows. He cocks the Winchester and puts one through the wall. He later said, I meant to hit, he knew it was Andy Cooper that was moving. He says, I meant to hit him in between the shoulder blades. He actually hit him in the leg. No, no idea why. It was really an incredibly stupid shot to make, but he did it anyway. He was, he was a heck of a shot, and it was a, actually worked out really fortunate for him. Um, the last one, so everything gets quiet for a moment, and the front door opens. Here comes Andy Cooper's, the youngest Blevins boy, Sam Houston Blevins, with Andy Cooper's pearl handle 45 caliber revolver, and he comes running out at Owens. His mother is right behind, trying to hold him back. Owens sees movement and just puts a bullet into the kid. Gets him right in the heart, blows his heart <coughs> apart with 4560, basically hits the heart and just tears it in half. The kid drops, staggers for a second, and drops right into his mother's lap, which sinks behind him. Owens waits for a moment, no more gunfight, puts Winchester over his shoulder and walks down the street. Well, the marshal runs up and he goes, did you get them all? He goes, I draw a beat on something, I did it. And he kept walking, he got on his horse, and rode off into the sunset. He literally did, he didn't want to hang out in town. <laughs> um, the amazing part about this gunfight is, aside from the fourth, the four people who were in there, the four men who were in there, as you count. The youngest Blevins boy was of the of age that he was considered a man. So you think of it as shooting a boy. He was 14 years old, he had a gun, he was considered a man. Um, they had, um, um, there were three, three women in the house and five kids. And somehow, amazingly enough, Owens didn't get a single one of them. Armesia Blevins, who was the youngest Blevins girl, as soon as she heard the first gunshot, went and hid under the kitchen table and stayed there for the entire thing. Later on, when they, uh, they actually brought her into court, this young, I think she was six years old at the time, um, they, uh, they brought her into court. They actually tried Owens, or they brought a coroner, they brought a grand jury and um, investigated for it to make sure the shooting was illegal. And um, they asked her, like, well, who was Sam Houston Blevins? And she goes, he was my brother, and he's dead. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes, but that's basically overview of gunfighting in the Old West. The fact of the matter is, is they most of them were very horrible shots. Most of it was assassination, and those instances, like with Commodore Perry Owens, were few and far between.
Anyway, any questions? I think we've run out of time because I just kept rambling on and on and on and on. We're exactly at time. Does anybody have any questions if we have a moment or two? Anything more about uh, the forensics uh, and any more tidbits? Um, uh, I, will, I can tell you this. Basically, what what, is, what a bullet will do to a human body is pretty, pretty really. Um, those bullets were usually moving very slow. Uh, 200, 280 grains of powder behind them. Um, they would hit the body, um, just your average wound hitting the chest. Would basically, it would shatter whatever bone it hit. It wouldn't just break it. Now, now high velocity rounds will just break through them. Those would actually shatter them. And because they would also kind of, they were almost like, the lead was really soft, and so it almost acted like our modern hollow points would just sort of mushroom up and just balloon up. And so once it hit the flesh and went to the adipose layer, which is the fat layer we all have underneath, it would sort of mushroom up. The first bone, it would, any bone it would hit, it would pretty much break through. Um, that includes vertebrae, femurs, anything. That's why so many of those guys ended up getting amputated, because once that happened, they had no way to set it. Virgil Earp, they didn't amputate his arm, they probably should have, he lost about this much bone out of it after he was the assassination attempt. They just went in there, opened up the arm, took the bone out, and his arm was useless for the rest of his life. He still ended up becoming city marshal somewhere in California, even with the, only one arm. Um, it's amazing what yeah. we do. And then, basically, any, any organs it would hit, like if it, it went through your intestines, this is, a bullet going through your intestines is, you know, you have, what, 13, 16 feet of intestines, I forget how much. Basically, it's going to punch holes through all those things. They had no way to fix that, and all those fluids and stuff would start leaking into your abdomen. It was, yeah, it was, it was really, and you became toxic. Uh, gut shot was pretty much the worst thing. There was a guy named Doc Goodfellow in Tombstone, who was a very famous physician, physician to the gunfighters, they ended up calling him, who actually found treatments for gunshot wounds. He saw somebody from Tombstone, and he became really an expert at it. He's also a man who figured out that bullets wouldn't penetrate silk, and that's how we came up with the Kevlar, silk Kevlar bullet professed today, because of him. Uh, yeah, and then basically on his exit wound, by the time it was getting through there, now it's really slowed down. It's gone through all this tissue, organs, and everything else. By the time it came out the back, it took just everything that it sort of collected and took it out through a chunk from the out this big. And it was just, and whatever was behind just stuck it to the wall. And a lot of them, a lot of them, like they said, in the palace saloon, they're like, um, uh, they, they would just, they would find chunks of bone, chunks of shirt, chunks of everything stuck to whatever happened to be behind them. But they didn't really stop a bullet in the human heart. And if you're lucky to get hit in the heart because of the, that meant you didn't have to like suffer like, you know, oh. get yeah. a shot full of morphine and suffer for 24 hours, which you could, you know, get your intestines to work again. So, yeah, that's, that's an average. Yeah, lung shots, um, actually Moe Roberts, who was the one who was shot in the back by Commodore Perry Holmes, uh, survived about two weeks. Um, and if they thought he was healing up, and then he caught an infection and died. And so, when did ballistics come into play? Was it after this? Or? Um, they knew something about it. I mean, they could they could trace where a bullet hit and where it went. Um, 38, 45 caliber slugs pretty much just go straight through. Um, as you get to smaller rounds like the 32 and, and the 22, they kind of bounce around. 22 will hit you and really bounce around all through you. Uh, there's a story of a mafia hit in um, in Las Vegas, or Reno rather. Um, this is many years later. They 
a silencer will only really work on a 22 because if not, the bullet is traveling so fast, it makes its own little sonic boom. So uh -huh. 32 is about the top you really want to use a silencer on, otherwise you're still going to get a boom. Um, uh, they walked two assassins walked up to a known wise guy and shot him eight times in the head. His skull was so thick that the bullets went in and went around and just <laughs> traveled around between the skin and the skull. Oh. And they actually ended up removing him while the guy lived. Not one of them penetrated because he was such a thick-headed. <laughs> so, yeah, so. But as far as ballistics go, yeah, uh, ballistics was much later. They, they could trace it, but they couldn't really tell what gun fired it not until they had more microscopic technology and things like that. And so, yeah, so. Any other questions or? Yeah, now y'all want a hamburger coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you coming. Um, if you'd like a copy of the book, I'd like to be able to thank you very much. Thank you. Actually, we're going to be meeting together over the uh, burger joint in a minute. I'm kind of hungry, but. <laughs> I'm like, you're not good. Hi, this is Kelly, aka Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok's story, and Tilda Wimblewick from DD Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. They're way out here, so... Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on the desk is more effective. <laughs> it's the authentic one. And we do have seats in here as well. <laughs> <laughs> Was it for the aristocrat? Yes, this is the aristocrat area. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, they want their own little special place they can have. <laughs> Slowly flipping the badge around. <laughs> Inside. I was watching uh, was it, uh, the band.
band out there and they're the, on the stage. And they were nice breeze coming through. All the people out there just dripping watching. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yesterday watching Glenn and Jocelyn out there at the key duel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was feeling for them. It's much nicer to watch the key duel and they were scrap well, you know, the funny thing is, is like some of the, I think Val Kilmer was doing interviewers and after the Tombstone, and he said that they actually used very authentic costumes of Tombstone. They had the, they were made out of wool, which is what they wore. And those guys <coughs> wore that stuff 24-7. And uh, he's like, God, that we, you know, we were out there, we're filming, it's just so bleeding hot. And, he, and he, um, he's like, I totally understand why they shot each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When you're hot and angry and cranky. Yeah, yeah hot and angry and I've had a few drinks. And you said what to me? <laughs> and if you're lucky, you're in the room with a fan. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you, know, feel, you feel extra sorry for the women, because I mean, you look at like, six layers of clothing or something. You know, you have yeah. bloomers, your corset. And, you know, the yeah, and I'll say the West was rough on women and horses. They weren't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. You see, you see, you see pictures of big nose Kate. You know what she looked that like. She's pretty when she was young. Didn't last her at all. I heard an interesting observation. Uh, I was listening to a podcast on the way up, and they're talking about how westerns are are the original survival movies. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they're all about survival. You know, you're you're out there all alone. You know, you got your six shooter and. And, uh, <laughs> your little homestead is your fortress. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so they need zombie movies, right? Yeah, maybe zombie movies. <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually, I heard us, I heard somebody say, if you, if you really look at, see, it's up here. One more guy over there.